Are you ready to feel understood and empowered? Are you ready to grow and glow? Tired of receiving bad advice from family and friends? Want to understand why therapy isn't a bad word? You're in the right place and in good hands. I'm Shamir Holmes, a licensed professional counselor. And I'm Erica Talbert, a licensed and marriage family therapist. And we are here to address mental health challenges and modern day issues in the Black community. Welcome to another episode of Trust Us. We're almost doctors. Welcome back to another episode of Trust Us, We're Almost Doctors. I'm Shamir Holmes, licensed professional counselor. And I'm Erica Talbert, licensed marriage and family therapy. And today we have a very exciting guest joining us, uh, Abby King, a mediator and certified divorce coach. Really happy to have Abby uh, on the, the pod with us, talking all things relationships, dating, red, red flags, green flags, divorce and mediation. And so just want to introduce Abby before we get started today. Abby King is a certified divorce coach and freelance writer, often exploring and writing to issues of parenting, divorce, relationships, and all things women's issues. Abby obtained a bachelor's degree in communications from the University of Maryland before relocating and moving to New York City to pursue a career in the world of fashion, marketing, and cosmetics. After a decade of working in New York, Abby then relocated to Philadelphia, which led to a new chapter of full-time parenting of her two children. Once her own marriage ended, Abby ushered in a new chapter of life, and this consisted of co-parenting as she learned to find happiness and fulfillment in this new realm of life and parenting. Abby has an advice column entitled Divorce Dish on divorceforce.com. She is a frequent contributor to the Huffington Post Women, Divorcing and Parenting sections. And you may have caught some of Abby's work featured in the Scary Mommy website, also Club Mid, The Good Men Project, and Philly.com, as well as the Philadelphia Inquirer. So here to discuss with both me and Erica some relationship information, some of the ins and outs of separation and divorce, if it does happen, is Abby King. Abby, it's a pleasure for us to speak with you today. We warmly welcome you to Trust Us, We're Almost Doctors. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. And that is such thorough research. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. You can tell we're still, we still have a little bit of wind in us with this, this graduation work and our dissertations, but um, it's, it's definitely lovely to talk with you today. So to kick things off, Abby, just tell us in terms of your work as a certified divorce coach and mediator, like what actually drew you into this work? I know you have a lot of hands-on life experience, but when did you realize like this was part of your professional purpose, if you will? Right. So I was researching an article that I was writing on divorce and I stumbled upon divorce coaching. I had never heard of it. Um, I don't think that it was even a thing when I got divorced. Uh, my divorce is finalized. Um, next month will be 10 years. So actually 11 years. Um, so there was nothing like that when I was going through it. And I looked into it a little bit and I kind of rolled my eyes and thought it was a joke. Um and actually, my now second husband encouraged me to look into it because I was giving advice. People were reaching out to me in droves uh, in response to all of my divorce writing and asking for advice on things I could talk to and things I was really had no experience with. So I looked into the program. There are a lot of programs, and I found one that was, to me, felt um, very thorough and worthwhile. And it was a lot of work, and it was real. It was nothing to roll my eyes at. And I did it not really knowing if I was going to actually start a coaching business. I thought it might just be, 
you know, just some credentials behind me and to feel better about giving advice. And again, my husband said, well, I don't know, you went through all of this. Why don't you at least try and see if you'd like it? And I did. And honestly, my writing has been put on hold for the past five years. I've been doing this and I've been growing by word of mouth and I really love it. So um, about a little over a year ago, I got certified in mediation. That's something that people were asking me about. And so, I mean, theoretically, a mediator can mediate in anything. I could, you know, mediate a dispute between two neighbors. But really what I focus on is relationships. So, yeah, it's kind of taken over. Oh, Eric, I think you're on mute. Oh, I am. You know that I'm still caught up with the Zoom <laughs> talking when you don't even know you're on mute. <laughs> but I was saying, Abby, thanks for sharing that. I think it's a really um, interesting field that you just never know. And so I think for us as therapists, um, your insight and your experience provides such a different perspective for us to consider when we are seeing couples um, and so forth. So I'm wondering either like with your work experience or your personal experience, what would you say have been like the top two lessons you've learned, um, whether it's about divorce, marriage, or relationships in general, what has stuck with you the most? Well, before I answer that, I did want to mention that a lot of, I do refer a lot of my clients to therapists and just to let you guys know that, you know, and I also have therapists that refer clients to me because obviously mm -hmm. I am not a trained psychologist, psychiatrist, um, social worker. And so it really is, you know, it really is different. And when clients, you know, come to me with certain issues, I know that that, you know, I am not trained mm -hmm. for certain things. And then I will refer them to, to therapists. And I know that a lot of counselors that I work with, you know, they can work with, you know, the what went on and what happened, but they can't speak to the process as much as I can. So trying right. to get client through the process of divorce might be something that, you know, I'll work with a, a counselor on. Um, but what I would really say is that in terms of couples, both parties really need to want to be there or at least mm -hmm. agree to be there in counseling. Um, you know, there are days where, you know, one or both parties don't want to be there and don't feel like it, you know, it's a lot of work. Um, and sometimes it's like going to the dentist, going to couples therapy, but you have to both agree to do it and really do it or else it's a complete waste of time and money. If you're not going to be honest there, if you're still going to be perpetuating lies of whatever it is, either to yourself or to your partner, it's a complete waste. So I have a lot of people say, you know, they, you know, my, my spouse, you know, just wants to move forward with separation, but they won't even go to counseling. And a, a lot of people see that as, you know, we want to try everything. So counseling should be one of those things that you check off. Um, and I don't disagree, but if both people don't want to do it, you know, you really, I guess you can force someone to go, but it's going to be just a waste of your time and money. So you really have to both be invested in going and, and I would also say be invested in whatever the outcome is going to be, hmm. you know, it might be great if you go to couples counseling and you do decide to separate or one party decides they really do want separation. At least you have a safe space to work through that together. And if there are children, it can be a space to discuss co-parenting, you know, you can't go into counseling 
with only the mindset of you're going to get what you want out of it. Mm, so you you might, you might not get what you thought you wanted out of it. Yeah. And that's funny you say that because that's something we also try to communicate to couples that come in that are going through a separation um, because they often think, oh, if we come into the office individually, they think they're their needs are going to get met in their mind. Like I'm coming in for this. And then the other person's thinking I'm coming in for this and we're going to triangulate you to be loyal to my decision. And, oh. and that's how they come in thinking. So I think it's <laughs> very important that you point that out. Like we are just there to help you navigate through whatever challenges are coming up or whatever miscommunications or misunderstandings are happening. Now, what the outcome will be, will be up to you two. It's not up to me, anyone else, um, but really, you know, you two as a couple and as an individual. And I think that's something that we often encounter when we're meeting with individuals as well. So I appreciate you mentioning that. Yeah. And I mean, and I know that like, you know, a therapist, a couples counselor cannot make one party hear something the way you want them to. Mm -hmm. You, you know, the most that you can know is that you had a safe space to speak your mind and that that person will help move a conversation or guide a conversation or step in if something gets out of hand. But a therapist cannot force your spouse to see it the way that you see it. And you're hoping to go in there. Well, if, you know, in front of them, I'll finally get to say X, Y, and Z, and they'll hear me and they'll see, and they won't be able to pretend they don't hear because the therapist is there. Well, the therapist isn't in their brain and you can only speak what you're going to speak. And your partner is still going to take it in the way that they're going to take it in. And, and, you know, I, I think people go into it hoping, like you said, for that ally or something you know, to prove, help prove a case. And I don't care if you're going in saying the sky is blue and your ex thinks the sky is brown, a therapist still can't get, you know, your ex to see that the sky is blue, you know? So there's only so much that can happen. And I think that it is great. I think it's great for couples to go into counseling way before it's, you know, so many people just do it too late when the wheels are already off. You know, and I think it's great just like you go to the dentist for a checkup, mm -hmm. you know, so you don't get cavities, go for checkups, go for check-ins when things are great in your relationship. You know, people really wait till it is the last ditch effort, which, you know, is, is really tough. That's, that's a, a really solid point, Abby, um, all around. And, you know, as we're aspiring uh, doctors in this work of marriage and family therapy, and you have your mediation history, I'm curious, like on an emotional level, what tends to flare up the most during like custody challenges, divorce, or when couples just decide to call it quits? What are some things that you see like happening um, over and over again, when folks are separating or their, their uh, relationships transitioning? A lot, when it when it comes to co-parenting, there's usually one parent that's doing a lot of, mo you know, the heavy load of parenting um, during a marriage, during a separation. There is that one go-to parent that does the crux of it. It is very rare that it's 50-50, you know, divided parenting responsibilities. So there's a lot of fear and I coach men and women and those in the LGBTQ plus space. And it really is across genders. Um, the, it, it, it's not just women 
that are only doing the crux of it. I have male clients that do the crux of it. And, you know, there's a lot of fear because, you know, everybody wants 50-50, but that one parent who has to give up 50% of the time and responsibility, that other parent has uh, in a lot of times been really absent. So there's a lot of fear of what's going to happen. Are they going to be able to take care of the child? They're not going to even realize that, you know, 50-50 means Wednesday and Thursday when they have to go to work. And so we we spend a I spend a lot of time on custody schedules and going through the ins and outs of what a parenting plan would look like. So there's a lot of fear and anxiety around that, and a lot of um, desire to control the parent who has been in charge. You know, understandably wants to control more than they're going to be able to control. Yeah, and I have found it interesting that you mentioned, because that was one of my questions um, regarding gender and what your clientele looks like, because I think a lot of the misconception or myth around um, divorce is that it's the women that are often seeking um, a divorce. And so I was wondering, like, I know you said you get both male women and across the boards so would you say it's like even more women or still more men or maybe equal um that are coming out and seeking services from you no i mean 75 percent women okay definitely okay. way more women are seeking my assistance okay um, yeah mm. they really are and out of those i'd say out of all of my female clients i mean i do have a, several couples that i coach that, you know, approach me together, but out of just my female clients, I would say, um, how I'd say 50%, they were seeking the separation and 50% their spouse was seeking the separation. Oh, okay. That's interesting. And would you say, um, with what you just described, is there mostly resistance coming from the partner of the male um, when we're talking about those that <clears throat> aren't in agreement with the separation or divorce, or is it sometimes the women might self-sabotage and say, oh, I still want to wait it out and see what happens and so forth. By um, by the time that they're seeking my help, I mean, mm -hmm. my experience only is that the women that are seeking my help, even if they did not want the separation, they're not trying to make it not happen anymore. But they're seeking my help to try to sort out, okay, this is happening. I didn't want it, mm -hmm. um, but what can I do now? Do I have to leave the house? What about my kids? You know, they're not trying to change things. But I do have many women as clients where their husbands are refusing to accept mm. that this is happening. Whereas for my male clients, that's never an issue. They're never coming to me looking for help with language and how to get their ex on board. You know, they're coming to me with other specific issues, but I have a lot mm -hmm. of female clients where the husbands just aren't listening, aren't believing it and, and really don't want to move forward with it. Okay. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Very interesting indeed. Now for our listeners, Abby, um, specifically those who have this strong desire, maybe they're in love, they're looking for love, they want to get married, they want to settle down and be, you know, in a relationship. What would you say in your years of experience are like maybe the top three, maybe five things that people should really consider 
uh, before getting married? I know you already mentioned the premarital work and the check-ins, right? Um, are there any things that maybe society, a lot of the Hallmark pictures or the Disney, you know, romances that were often shared, which are not very true, um, and our families, our families of origin failed to prep us about, failed to uh, shed light on? Yeah, I think that, you know, love and attraction are important, but, you know, they're not going to go the long haul. Um, and obviously, you know, there are big hot button issues that everybody focuses on race, religion, um, socioeconomic status. You know, these are all the, the checks, right? That like, you can tell if somebody brings somebody home of a different religion or a different race, that's going to be a big discussion. But what people aren't talking about, you know, is respect. Respect is, I think, the number one thing that by the time I see clients, they either don't respect their partners or they weren't respected. And I think that is the number one thing. If you don't respect your partner and, and you can say, you know, what does that look like? Um, it can be in very, it can be in the tiniest of ways, or it can be in a big way. Do you not respect the way that they prioritize their family? Do you not respect the way that they talk to people in the service industry when you're out at a restaurant? Do you not respect um, the way that they handle finances? Not so much as, you know, maybe they might not be in, you know, crazy debt and going shopping and buying things that they can't afford and luxurious vacations, but do they have a pile of parking tickets on their car seat when they take you for a date? that are unpaid. You know, these little things can tell you a lot about a person. And I'm not saying that somebody who has 20 parking tickets is a horrible person. And that might be fine for you. And it might not be okay for me. But you know, people are what they do. And I think that you have to look at that and good people make bad decisions. And you know, it doesn't mean that every bad decision means you're a bad person. Um, but you really have to know yourself and what sits well with you. Um, and so, you know, the parking tickets might seem so silly to one person, like who cares, right? They haven't paid them. And another person might say, well, first of all, you're not learning your lesson. Why are you getting 20 tickets? Why aren't you paying them before you're then accruing more money? You know, it, you have to know yourself and have a baseline level of, and maybe for some people, they don't understand what that means by respect, but the ick factor, does something just make you feel and I'm not being shallow with like superficial looks. I'm saying like the actions of a boyfriend, girlfriend, partner, spouse, do they make you feel icky? Are you embarrassed? Do you want to apologize to the waiter in the restaurant? Do you want to not tell your parents, you know, if your parents are saying, can you guys come on this holiday with us or spend Thanksgiving with us? Do you not want to see, are you secretly not telling your parents? I can't even ask my boyfriend because I'm, like uh, they, they get annoyed if I talk about that. Are you, are you feeling icky and hiding things and uh, making excuses and explanations? I think that's a huge red flag. If you're doing that while you're dating and you're making excuses in your own mind or out loud to friends or family about things that your partner is doing, that's a problem. So like, I would say that's number one. Yes, that is a great one. Oh my, I was like, oh, I didn't even think about that, Abby. You sure me too. therapist. I know part of me is like, damn, Abby, I should have talked to you before I got married. <laughs> <laughs> I should have talked to myself. Yes, yes. All all things learned for sure. 
Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, the, the, and, and there was a lot and there that I said in that wrapped up in respect, but there's a lot but, there. Yeah. But I feel like it was very helpful because I never thought about, um, like we use different language or talk about it in different ways. But when you say like, when you go out in public, do you have to, you know, say sorry for their, or make excuses for their behavior or even with your family. And I think, um, people often don't realize that they are making excuses um, when talking about their partner because of the shame and all of that other stuff that goes on. So just when you said that, it resonated with me because I've seen it so much and I'm sure you have, Shamir, as well. And even the personal experiences with dating where we have kind of gaslighted ourselves and made up excuses about um, some things, as you said, made you feel icky. And we just kind of brush it out in a rug and hope like, oh, maybe they'll change with time or it'll get better. But, you know, it also doesn't have to be, I mean, obviously the wanting to apologize to a service staff in a, in a restaurant, I mean, that's the worst. I mean, it doesn't even have to be bad. It can just be that that person is not for you. So, mm -hmm. you know, my ex uh, wouldn't apologize, for, you know, didn't like when I would speak up or speak my mind, mm -hmm. which clearly, you know, he didn't respect me. And, uh, you know, there's many ways I didn't respect him. We're no longer married and that's, that's fine. Um, but, you know, it just, that it didn't dawn on me then that somebody that wanted me to be quiet and was always telling me that, it, you know, I was, it was inappropriate. I shouldn't speak my opinion or I shouldn't this. Oh, that was a red flag because for me, it's important to be in a situation where mm -hmm. I can't speak my mind and where my opinion is valued. And so that could have been a, a red flag to me that, oh, it doesn't mean he's a bad person. He just doesn't want how I am, you know, mm -hmm. and I am going to be with somebody who respects mm -hmm. me and wants my opinion and values my opinion and doesn't need to be in charge of everything. And, you know, there's a right person for everyone. And, and so, it can also, it doesn't have to be so, you know, we all know the things that are icky and embarrassing and, and that you make excuses for. It can also be, you know, one person did not want to hear my opinion and wanted mm -hmm. to run a show. And I am in a marriage now where, you know, my husband consults me on everything, on his business, his personal life, you know, we're real, you know, friends and partners. And mm -hmm. so, you know, it can also be in, non-horrible ways it's just not the right person for you mm -hmm. it's a preference and what as you said your threshold is um like what's acceptable because what I may be okay with may not be the same for you so each person is different and, I and think it goes both ways like yeah. I'm saying make sure that you respect your partner mm -hmm. make sure that you are feeling respected mm -hmm. yes absolutely. And, and and so you have to you know and I think a lot of times we don't focus on how we feel. We just focus on if we like the other person. Mm -hmm. Do we like them? Are they tall enough? Do they have a good job? Are they nice to their mom? Do they want to go on vacation? Do they like to play tennis? Do they like to football on Sundays? You know, well, what do we like? Mm -hmm. And so that's, you know, the second thing I would say is how do you want to live your life? And really think about that because you may have the race and the religion and the money and all those big things sorted out. Mm -hmm. But if one wants to watch football all Sunday, every Sunday, and one wants to go out hiking, you know, 
how are you going to live your life? Does what, do you love to travel and they don't, you know, and there are certain ways that you can compromise, but you know, if you're the kind of person that wants to be with a partner 355 days a year and the other person's like, Hey, I'd love to do, you know, have more independent time and go away with my friends and do things on my own. And I don't want to be with you every single night. You know, there's, you really have to think about how you want to live your life. Absolutely. And I think that's so powerful too, that whole notion of like, how do you feel, right? How do you show up when you're in their midst or you're in their presence and you're trying to um, get to know one another better? And something you you spoke about uh, just a moment ago, Abby, leads to my next question. Um, I'm really thrilled to know that you personally have found love again. So I wonder from that perspective in and of itself, going through the drudges, right, of divorce and separation and just rebuilding your life, rebuilding yourself, um, people can start over again. So there's beauty in um, a new chapter and second chances, if you will. But is there anything that you would add to that experience? And like, maybe personally, how long did you wait before you allowed love in, or maybe you were more open to it after going through divorce? Yeah. So, you know, everybody's different. I really advise my clients and friends and anybody who will listen to sort out your, your stuff from your first marriage or relationship before you get into the next one. And that doesn't mean you have to be happy every day. You know, it's still hard. You know, I hate what I just had to say goodbye to my kids and they're, you know, 19 and 15, um, you know, for the first week of Christmas break, they're going to be with their dad. So it doesn't mean you have to be happy about every part of it, but you have to understand what happened or it's just going to keep happening. And, you know, I, I'm not saying that a little rebound is not the worst thing in the world, but after you have that fun and that rebound, then maybe take time after the rebound before you get into a real relationship um, with somebody else. So maybe have a little fun, but I would really take time before you dive in. Um, personally, and I know I'm really on the far end of a spectrum, I didn't feel comfortable even entertaining anything physical or dating or anything until my divorce was final. And um, it was like a two-year period of a drawn-out separation. And the divorce was actually within four months. But there was a long period of time where, you know, personally, I didn't feel like it. Um, well, I started dating my husband a year after my divorce was final. So that was a couple years, several years, um, like four or five of after things started going bad. And he was actually a former colleague I hadn't seen in over a decade. And we just went out to catch up. So it wasn't even a date. Um, and there you go. But, you know, I would say, you know, the divorce rate is, it just gets higher with each divorce. So um, I, I don't know what the stats are now, but if 50% of couples are getting divorced, then 70% of second marriages. And it, it just goes up the more you go. And, you know, I think there are two reasons for that. And one is that if you've already gone through divorce, you never want to do it again. But also, if you've already divorced, you know, your first spouse, and oftentimes children are part of that, um, you know, there's nothing harder than than letting go of that first one and where they're the parent of your children. I mean, if you can get through that, I'm not going to put up with something like this would suck to do it again. But if I'm not happy, people feel it, you know, just quit easier. Um, and also it's a lot harder the second time around. There's custody schedules and exes and kids and you live in different places and different houses and, you know, try to get somebody to compromise when they're 25 30, 35, try to get someone to compromise when they're 40, 45, and 50. I mean, you know, <laughs> it's not easy. And so, 
you know, I've been with my current husband, uh, February would be 10 years and we've been married five and, you know, it has been amazing. And it's also been a, a lot of work. I mean, we get in it and don't let things get too far out of hand. You know, we really address things and it just takes a lot more daily work. Um, but it's just like, I mean, I can't even, it's not worth comparing relationships, but <clears throat> it's so worth it. You just, you have to really go in with your eyes open and be ready. And there's also nothing wrong with just having some fun if you don't want a heavy relationship. For sure. For sure. All, all really uh, salient points and uh, congratulations on your anniversary together with your love. Yay! <laughs> that is beautiful. Thank Lots you. And good for, our, good for our listeners to hear that you can rebuild, you can um, do what is best for you in the next chapter. So lastly, Abby, I guess, any final takeaways for our listeners? Like what is maybe a message or two you really want to drive home? And then with that, can you let people know how they can connect with you, where they can find you, be it social media or the best way to um, further connect with you after the show? Yeah, I, you know, people, I know that it's so hard and you're so sad and exhausted. I mean, divorce is so traumatic and it doesn't matter if you have a sister or friends and a lot of people have nobody and people don't really talk about it. And that's why I think my writing on it resonated so much and people started reaching out. Um, you know, it does get better. And the first couple years, especially if you have little children are, I mean, you just have to fake it till you make it. And I don't care if you drop off your kids at school and go home and get in bed and cry for two hours. Like, that's great. You did a good job. Um, and then you pick them up and you wipe your, you know, you wash your face and you pick them up in the afternoon and that's fine. So, you know, do whatever you can to get through the first couple years. And it really, 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 I promise gets better. Um, you know, divorce guilt is such a real burden people and parents feel so guilty and like I said you know I just had to drop off my kids and I am 12 years that we've been kind of doing a custody schedule and it still sucks to say goodbye to my kids and you know my 19 year old is kind of annoyed about the Christmas schedule um holiday schedule he wants to see his friends but we have co-parenting custody you know he's like this is annoying if you guys weren't divorced but you know for all of the guilt that people feel just remember, you know, staying in an unhappy home isn't doing your kids any good. I mean, I know personally, I really stuck it out way longer than I should have, way longer than was healthy for me. And I feel good about it. I know why at every big marker, I didn't leave. I understand why I didn't leave and I'm I'm happy I didn't, but um, it took a toll on me. And then I finally was like, oh, my kids are now, you know, two, three, six years old. Like I got to, this is what they're going to see. So you're not, you know, we're all going to screw up our kids and thank God they're licensed professionals like you guys to handle that. But, you know, I just tell everybody like what you think is going to screw up your kid <laughs> is not what they wind up being upset about. Like whatever my kids are going to go to a therapist about in, you know, 15, 10, 20 years, I'm certain it's going to be something I haven't even thought of. Mm -hmm. I was overbearing when I was doing homework. Like it's going to be something I didn't even think about. So you know, you're going to screw up your kids and don't worry about it. Like you, you know, do the best you can. Every choice that you make, try to just do the best you can and know that it is so much better to have two homes, even though mm -hmm. it's so annoying and the kids have to schlep back and forth. 
and there's so much negative than to be in a home where people are passive aggressive or mm -hmm. silent or scared or unhappy or don't talk to each other or have no love or respect or playfulness. You know, like my, my son's annoyed at his Christmas break, but they see my husband helping me out all the time and whacking my ass when he walks by and giving me a kiss and we work together and they see us, they're bored at dinners when we're trying to get through our schedule. They hate it, but they see us, whether or not they get it, working through our schedules because we have four kids and two exes and two homes and custody. And so, you know, they see two people working it out. And so I, I just hang in there, things get better. It's not the end of the world. You're not a bad parent. You're not a bad person. You know, mm -hmm. staying in a horrible situation is is really much worse. Divorce is not a failure. It's a solution. Mm -hmm. It's not an easy solution, but it is a solution. That's so good. thank you so much, Abby. And yeah. and for folks to connect with you um, or if they want to follow up or if they have questions, they're interested in working with you, best way or your preference in terms of them reaching out. So follow me at Divorce Coach Philly. P-H-I-L-L-Y, Divorce Coach Philly, all one word on Instagram. And people message me all the time. And my contact info is there. I also have a website, divorcecoachphilly.com. And there are um, links there to email me or to reach out for consults or questions or help. All right. Awesome. Well, Abby, we sincerely can't thank you enough. This was so helpful. We hope that we can invite you back on in the near future to discuss uh, some other reoccurring themes with all things separation, divorce, and mediation. It was a pleasure. Thank you for being with yes, us. Yes, it was. And Thank we you hope so much. Thank you have a wonderful holiday. Yes. Happy you holidays, too. Abby. Thank you. You too. As always, we thank you so much for tuning in. This episode, as with every episode, is dedicated to the legendary Miss Oprah Winfrey. Hashtag Oprah come find us. Hashtag Oprah we love you. We'd also like to send a major shout out and thanks to our incredible producer extraordinaire, Dave Grisbowski.